So have you ever punished yourself? Now, I'm not talking about eight trips to the dessert section at the pizza buffet. That's not the kind of punishment I'm talking about. Not talking about punishing yourself by, you know, going to the beach and, and getting up that morning and right after breakfast, you know, spraying your forearms a little SPF 1.5 and then spending nine hours on the beach after that. That's not the kind of punishment I'm talking about. Not talking about the kind of punishment where you join the plumbing and sewer committee in your neighborhood homeowners association. That's not the kind of punishment I'm referring to. Have you ever punished yourself in such a way that on the weekend your stomach is just tied up in knots? You can't think. You're struggling with just about everything. Have you ever punished yourself in a way where you are ticked off at just about everybody and everything most days? Have you ever punished yourself in a way that you hate going home at the end of the day? Have you ever punished yourself in a way that people at home hate for you to come home at the end of the day? Have you ever punished yourself in such a way that you're an emotional wreck? Or have you punished yourself in a way that you're an emotionless wreck? You are apathetic about everything going on around you. Have you ever punished yourself in a way that, that makes you more irrational? That makes you more bitter, more unhappy, more defeated, and maybe even more defeating. Have you ever punished yourself in a way that, that makes you restless and sleepless? Or in a way that makes the people around you restless and sleepless? Have you punished yourself in such a way that you rarely experience true peace and true joy? and rarely experience any hope in your life? Have you ever punished yourself that way? What is that way? What, what is this strange way of punishing ourselves that, that could cause that much havoc in our life? What is this way of, of punishing ourselves that, that we do to ourselves and we create so much trouble for our own souls? What is this punishment? Well, let's find out. Luke chapter 11, verse 4. This is what Jesus says. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Jesus is teaching his closest friends about prayer, which means this is the way we're supposed to pray as well. And in the phrase right before this, he tells them they need to ask God to forgive them for their sins. So daily and often, he tells his closest followers, you guys need to all the time be asking God to forgive you for your casual waywardness and also for your moments of bold rebellion against what he wants and what he desires. And then he, he throws this little tagline on. He says, and when you're asking God to forgive you, then that means that you are forgiving other people. In other words, if you're going to ask God to forgive you, then you need to be forgiving other people. J.R. Miller put it this way, we are asking God to forgive us as we forgive others. See, the math would be weird. 
God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. No way I'm forgiving anybody else. But forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. See, the math doesn't work. We are forgiving as we are asking God to forgive us. So what does it mean to forgive? Well, it means for something to depart, for something to go away. Not, not something you can do on your own, but something that you need to actually happen to you. And so Jesus here is taking this idea of forgiveness and he's connecting it to another person. He's saying, you guys need to pray that God would help you forgive in such a way that you will let other people's sins go away. That you will cause their sin to depart because of your actions and your forgiveness. He's teaching us to pray so that other people's sins will go away. I came across a, a fascinating picture, several word, modern word pictures of how the Bible describes forgiveness in my reading this week. I just want to share a few of them with you. This is what it means to forgive. To take out the garbage, leaving the house smelling fresh. To loose the anchor and set the ship free to sail. To turn the key, open the cell, and let the prisoner out. To write across a debt nothing owed. To pound the gavel in the court and declare not guilty. I love these next three. To shoot an arrow so far it can never be found. To loosen a stranglehold on the neck of a wrestling opponent. To sandblast a wall of graffiti leaving it clean. So let's just look back over the last four weeks. How many arrows have you shot a long, long, far away towards your wife? How many prison cells have you opened for your husband? How much sandblasting have you been doing towards your children? How much sandblasting have you been doing toward your parents? This picture of forgiveness is deep. It, it matters. It has effect. It impacts our lives. And what about outside of our family? I mean, who else are we supposed to forgive? Jesus says, forgive everyone who is indebted to you. Everyone. So the word for everyone here means each person, every person, and all persons. And likewise, connected to that, it means that you forgive them for each sin, every sin, and all sins. Now you might be thinking, you don't know this person, no doubt. You don't know what they've done against me. You don't know how they are. Simon Peter walked up to Jesus one day, and he said, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive somebody who's sinned against me? Is, is seven times, is, is that enough? Will that work? I love Peter. Peter sounds more like most of us than anybody else in the Bible, right? So really, you can almost hear what Peter's saying is, Jesus, the reason I'm asking is because there's this guy, and he's been sinning against me. Now, I've forgiven him. In fact, Jesus, I've even started a forgiveness notebook 
And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm writing people's names down. And, and I'm, I'm checking every single time that I, I forgive them. And so I've forgiven this guy seven times. i got seven checks by his name. That's pretty impressive, right, Jesus? That's enough times, right? This is how Jesus responds to Peter. Matthew 18, verse 22. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Jesus is always so subtle, right? Peter, I tell you what, when you write down the 490th check by that guy's name, then come ask me again. And what he's saying is this, Peter, keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving and then forgive some more. But if we're honest with ourselves, that's not how we approach forgiveness. If there's anything we keep doing, we keep reliving. And we keep retelling. And we keep replaying all the sin that's committed against us. Forgiveness is that thing that's out there. We, we know it exists. We think it's a, a good Christian idea. We'll get to it eventually. But we don't know even if we will forgive if we get to it. But we know it's a good idea. There's a number of pastors and theologians have summarized what Jesus says here with, I think, a very succinct way of thinking of this. It goes like this. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Forgiven people are forgiving people. If right now there's somebody in your life that you're refusing to forgive, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. What I'm saying is that Jesus says you're not acting like a Christian based on, on his words. And if the pattern of your life is that you rarely, if ever, forgive people for their sins against you, then you might want to ask God if you're really saved. Because the language that Jesus gives is pretty clear. Paul describes being saved this way to the Colossian church. Colossians 2 verse 13. God has forgiven us all our transgressions. That's a big word. All our transgressions. Every carrot you threw in your mom's face from the high chair. Every kid you lied about at recess. Every test that you tried to cheat on. Every girl that you were a little too pushy with. Every boy that you were a little too flirty with. Every time you didn't write the score down right on your scorecard. Every time that you reported an expense that was personal and not really business to the company. Every website that you've looked at that you shouldn't have. Every movie that you watched that you shouldn't have. Every missions offering you ignored. Every credit card you swipe that you shouldn't have. Every fiction novel that you chose over the Bible. Anything and everything that you made more important than Jesus ever. All forgiven. All sent away. All departed. This is the very nature of the gospel. All forgiven because of God's grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's a story told about Martin Luther having a dream where Satan came to him in his dream. And it says that Satan came to him and said, oh, you know, nobody's perfect. In fact, I've got a list of your sins, Luther. 
Let me just read them to you. And so he started reading off all the sins in Luther's life. And when he got through with the list, Luther said, you know what, you might want to look harder. I think you probably missed some. And sure enough, Satan goes back and, and looks again, and, and he continues to read and find some more. And then when he was finally done, this is what Luther said to him. It is all true, but right across that list in red ink, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Luther screamed, it's, it's all true, I can't deny any of it, but I'm forgiven. It's been sent away, it's, it's departed. And if that has happened in your life, then it affects something. Because it should make you the kind of person who forgives. Because forgiven people are forgiving people. It's, it's our nature. The psalmist said this, Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, oh, Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? Who could say, I've done it all right all the time. I haven't missed anything. Nobody could do that. Nobody has enough good deeds to make themselves right with God. Paul continues to write to the Colossians, the rest of verse 13 and into 14. Having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us. Every single person in this room, every single person who can hear my voice, every single person in this community, every single person on the planet, past, present, and future, everybody has a certificate of debt to God. How? Because no one measures up. No one has a, a clean account. All of us have violated His law. All of us have violated His ways. All of us. There's no exemption. I mean, really, show of hands, how many of you have not done anything wrong this week? <laughs> how many of you have perfectly kept God's law? If God were to look at every thought and every word and every attitude that you've had this week, you would get an A plus 100. See, we have a certificate of debt. If you have never repented, never turned to Christ, never been rescued by Jesus, never received his salvation, then you are dead in your sin. And you are deep, deep, deep in spiritual debt that there's no way that you could pay off. You are separated from Christ. You are without God and without hope in this world. But your story can change. Because Jesus through his sacrifice, has made a way for the certificate of debt to be canceled, for the certificate of debt to go away, for it to depart, for it to be written across, not owed. Your debt can be forgiven. Your certificate can go away. And if you are someone that you are confident today that your certificate has gone away, then that should do something to your life. And it's this. You should be more forgiving because forgiven people are forgiving people. The depth of forgiveness is understood and, and we understand that we, we have to live that out. Paul keeps going. Having forgiven us all our transgression, having canceled out the certificate of debt, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
Nailed to the cross means it's, it's permanently been dealt with. It's permanently been erased. It's permanently been sandblasted. It's not there. It's gone. C.S. Lewis put it this way. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So who are you bitter with right now? Who has done what to you right now? Who is it that right now you're having a really, really hard time forgiving? Maybe it's somebody at home. Maybe it's somebody in your extended family. Maybe it's somebody at school or at work. Maybe it's somebody here in the church. Maybe it's somebody at another church. You got their name. You got their face. You, you know who that person is that you're struggling to forgive? Now, now listen to this from the scriptures. 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Just kind of wipes the, the face out of our mind, right? Like, what do we do with that? Or you may be thinking, okay, good. I was a little worried there for a second, but, but I, I'm okay. I, I don't hate them. I don't hate them. I just refuse to forgive them. See, there's a problem with that, though. Because forgiven people are forgiving people. It doesn't mean it's not hard, but there's, there's not a refusal. John MacArthur says this, The price of unforgiveness is extremely high. Unforgiveness imprisons people in their past, and it makes the person that offended you the jailkeeper. Why do you want to live like that? You are sentencing yourself to always feel as bad as you do and to feel worse all the time because you keep rehearsing, rehearsing, and rehearsing, and rehearsing what was done to you and exaggerating and exacerbating the wound itself. You ever rehearsed those things over and over again? Or is it just me? My counseling friend Rick Thomas posted an article Friday morning. I mean, I was, I was done with all my studying for the week. I was. I was like, oh, Rick, I don't have time to read this article. Don't do this to me. And this is the title of the article. The power of unforgiveness when used as a weapon. The power of unforgiveness when used as a weapon. So I knew I had to read it. Didn't have an option. He gives two very unsettling comments about what it means to refuse to forgive other people. Here's the first. If you have been tempted like me, then please know that unforgiveness is a form of anger that will take its revenge on you. Refusing to forgive means that you are giving anger permission to take its hardest punches at you. Not at the person who's offended you, but, but at you. That's what unforgiveness does. And this is the other thing he says. The person holding on to the anger and hurt cannot see or is unwilling to see how unforgiveness is a form of self-prescribed cancer. It will eat away at the unforgiving soul. Not the offending soul. 
the unforgiving soul. There may be nothing that happens to the person that offends you. But if you cannot forgive, it will eat away at your own soul. Then he says this. No one should strive to hold on to any sin, which unforgiveness is, no matter how justified or insecure they may feel in the moment. Don't hold on to unforgiveness. Don't hold on to sin. Don't hold on to anger. Don't hold on to bitterness. Don't hold on to pride. Let those things loose. Hold them very loosely so that you will not have them very long. Let them go as quickly as you possibly can. Do not hang on to those. Why? Because when you do, you are going to dishonor God. You are going to disobey Jesus. But you're going to defeat yourself. But this is what Jesus is trying to tell his friends. He's trying to help them. When you pray, you need to get this. You need to get this. If you're going to ask God to forgive you, you have to be forgiving other people. The math only works together. Remember we said at the very beginning, what is it that you do that punishes yourself? Unforgiveness punishes yourself. When we refuse to forgive, we are punishing ourselves. Listen, the person who offended you, they don't lose sleep. Their stomach is not tied up in knots. They may not even know they've offended you. So it's not even on their radar that something's wrong. And let me just say this to hurt all of our feelings a little bit. Sometimes they didn't offend you. We're just being a baby. We're just getting our feelings hurt. And we weren't sinned against. We just don't like what happened. And so we hold a grudge against someone and they have no idea that we have a grudge against them because they didn't do anything wrong. But we've decided that they did something wrong. They didn't disobey Jesus. They didn't disobey the Scriptures. But we're going to hold something against them anyway. They're not losing sleep because they have no clue. But you're tied up. And then there's other times that they did offend you and they are aware of it, but their hearts are so hard they could care less that you can't sleep. They're not bothered by it. Rick goes on to tell a story about Bill and Mary. Most of Rick's stories are, are counseling stories that he's changed the names and the circumstances to protect people's stories and identities. I really encourage you to, to go. It's, it's rickthomas.net. If you ever need counseling help, it's a whole world of articles for you to read. But he tells a story about Bill and Mary. And, and Bill got tripped up in sin, and he eventually confessed, and he genuinely repented. But Mary refused to forgive him. This is what Rick says. During counseling, the real truth that eventually came out was her belief that she had been living alone her entire marriage and God never intervened in the nightmare. Anybody feeling that yet? Mary was hurt and felt it wasn't proportionally equitable for her to forgive after a year when she repeatedly suffered for two decades. The more sinister side of Mary believed that if she forgave Bill for his sin, then it would be like he never sinned. From her perspective, he would get off free and clear, and the door of her nightmare would be closed as though it never happened. That was not tenable for Mary. 
She was bitter and not ready to forget her hurt. In some ways, her hurt was a form of security. She loved the hurt. She loved the drama. And she didn't even know it. What she was not grasping was how her unforgiveness was forcing her head under the waters of bitterness. Grace seemed too easy. And this is where the rubber really meets the road. Rick writes, Mary was unwilling to accept the death of Christ as a sufficient payment to cover what was done to her. Jesus was not enough. His, his penalty paid the cross. It, it was not enough. We sing that song, right? Just a couple months ago. The cross is enough. The cross is enough. Wasn't for Mary. And, and if we're honest, there's lots of times that it's not for us. Listen, I realize that some of you have been hurt in terrible ways. There is a pain, there is an anguish that even today you feel like will never go away. And some of the people who have hurt you are despicable to this day. And at the very least, they're, they're unrepentant. So this is one sermon. There's, there's no way that I can catch every single detail of every single one of your circumstances and why it's been hard to forgive or, or whatever the nuances are of that. It's just one sermon. I could preach this same phrase 490 times and I would not even scratch the surface of sin and forgiveness and the impact that it has on our lives. But I would love for us just to get one thing today. Just, just one picture in our minds and our hearts. Just one thing that we can take into our marriages and take into our relationship with our kids, take to work and school, take to somebody immediately following this service. Just, just one thing, and that would be this. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Why? Why are forgiven people forgiving people? This is why. A forgiven person... When they lay their head down at night and their stomach begins to tie up in knots and they can't think straight, they begin to fight. Because they know that their desires are more for happiness and more for joy and more for hope than their desires are for bitterness and anger and pride and revenge and retaliation, and rehearsing, and reliving, and replaying. They begin to fight because they know how satisfying it is to know Jesus and to be saved by Jesus. When the knots begin to tighten, they begin to tell themselves over and over again this. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, forgiven people fight with that. This is their weapon. Not unforgiveness. Their weapon is forgiveness. They fight the fear. They fight the pain. They fight the hurt with their forgiveness. And it's a hard fight. It is not an easy fight. Some of you know this deeper than the rest of us, but it is a hard fight, but you fight. 
A forgiven person fights. And they say, you know what? I once was lost, but now I'm found. My chains are now gone. Sin no longer has a grip on me. There is nothing and no one anywhere who can pluck me from the hands of God. I am His and He is mine. I am His and He is mine. And we fight and we fight and we fight with forgiveness because we have been forgiven. So, does that mean when we forgive somebody we're just blowing off their sin? Does that mean we're just ignoring what they've done to us? We're, we're just letting this stuff you know, go on the slide. Hey, man, I, I'm a Christian. It's all good. No, it's not what we're saying at all. But when we forgive, we, we are saying something much deeper than, than just a few words. I want to call on Rick one more time. This is how he defined forgiveness. I will be obedient to God and release you from your sin, regardless of what you have done to me. I realize that what I have done to my Savior is far worse than what you have done to me or could ever do to me. Even though what you have done to me has been devastating. I will not hold this over your head any longer, but I will make myself vulnerable to the Lord while knowing that you could hurt me again. But don't miss this. I trust God's sovereign care over my life. Do you trust that? I mean, are you really God's no matter what? Do you know that? Do you feel that? Do you sleep with that? then if so, you can forgive. I trust God's sovereign care over my life and His method of conflict resolution rather than my own. I choose to be obedient to Him. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you.